the coming Christian persecution. That's coming up next right here on The Right Stuff. Welcome to The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen, Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we are going to be talking to a guest all the way from Rome. I'm so excited to be talking to Dr. Thomas Williams. He is the author of this book, The Coming Christian Persecution. And you may be thinking, what do you mean the coming Christian persecution? Christians are pretty much a respected, highly protected entity of society. No one's persecuting Christians. I beg to differ. And by the time you finish listening to this podcast, you're going to understand the coming Christian persecution. I can't wait to tell you about it in just a few moments. I want to thank you all for your support of my newest release called A Chance with Zhao Xin. It's part of the Last Chance Bride series. So go ahead, pick up your copy, which is available exclusively on Amazon.com. I want to thank you all for your support. We have been showcasing Christian authors worldwide for the past nine years. And as God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. To find out how you can help out, simply go to patreon.com slash right stuff and see what you can do. And as always, we covet your prayers. Follow us on our new YouTube channel at PJC Media called The Right Stuff. We are currently uploading all our episodes onto the YouTube channel. Can't wait to see what you guys think about that. And just hit that subscribe button and you'll never, ever have to miss a show. And so without further ado, I'm going to introduce my guest co-host today, Dr. Thomas Williams. Dr. Williams, how are you doing today? I am doing great, Parker. I feel very blessed to be on your program with you, and I'm really excited about this conversation we're going to have. I am excited as well because I really think we need to get our head in the game because persecution of the Christian church is real, is happening right now, and we need to be aware of it. So when this book came across my desk, I was so excited to read it. And to our listeners out there, If you like a book that is very systematic in building its argument about a particular thing, The Coming Christian Persecution is of that caliber. And Dr. Williams does a really great job. Now, I'm going to read his quick bio here. As a 2018 visiting research fellow for the Center of Ethics and Culture at Notre Dame University, Thomas D. Williams has written widely on theology, philosophy, ethics, and spirituality. And his 15 books include Who is My Neighbor, Personalism and the Foundations of Human Rights and the World as It Could Be, Catholic Social Thought for a New Generation. Williams teaches theology at St. John's University Rome campus and has also done extensive media work serving as consultant and commentator on faith, ethics, and religion for NBC, CBS, and Sky News in the UK. He was appointed by the Holy See as spokesman for the Snod of Bishops in 1997 and again in 2001. So I'm so glad to have you, Dr. Williams. But a lot of my listeners are evangelical. And I just want us to give peel back the veil a little bit about who you are. I read your bio, but that's only a little bit of who you are. Who are you personally? Well, I am a Christian first and foremost, and I think that, you know, there's a reason that I call this book The Coming Christian Persecution, not The Coming Catholic Persecution. This is something 
I think that really serves to unite all believers in Jesus because his prediction, his his prophecy that his followers would all face uh, the same kind of persecution that he himself underwent in his life when he said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you too. A disciple is just like his master, and you should be proud to be like your master. That was for all of us. And I think that's something that joins all of us believers together. This is not a question of, you know, fine splitting hairs over particular doctrinal questions. This is something about the core message of what it believe, what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ, to follow him, and what that entails for us in our lives, what we have to be ready for. And part of that is this witness, even up to the point of shedding our blood, if that's what's asked of us. You said even if it's to the point of shedding our blood, because we are only following the example of our leader, Jesus Christ, who did the exact same thing for you and for me. So I love that call for unity, that call for commonality. And what's going to happen is that as this thing gets more and more aggressive and vigorous, there's going to be less opportunity for gray and more for black and white. Either you are with me or you aren't. I was talking to a pastor over in the UK and he said, we have been blessed to kind of live in this gray area for Christians. We can act up a little bit, but we can still call ourselves Christians. And he's being kind of general about it. He said, but things are happening to where you are either going to take up your cross or you're not. You're either going to say, I stand with Christ or you're not. Those types of decisions are going to affect where you stand. Because I want the Lord to say to me, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I truly want that. But do you want it, dear listener? That's something you have to decide for yourself. In the coming Christian persecution, this is going to help you really define that answer for yourself. So let's go ahead and dig into the coming Christian persecution. What made you decide to work on this particular book? Well, really, Parker, it was I was kind of covering this. I was writing a lot of stories about it. I was following it very closely. And it was really kind of shocking to me as little by little was unveiled to me how prevalent this is, how widespread it is, how it's everywhere, and how violent it is, even in our day and age when we think everything is so modern and contemporary. And it's just, it, it's very brutal. And uh, so that was part of it. But the other half was equally important which is how little this is talked about. The mainstream media is just not covered. You never see it on the news. You never see it. It's not talked about on most media. Uh, it's something that for most people is, is unheard of. We don't even realize it. There are some 360 million Christians around the world who live in daily fear for their lives. That's an astronomical number. That's higher than the entire population of the United States. And those are the ones who live under serious persecution. These are not you know, just the general ones who face what we face many times, ostracization or marginalization or a little harassment or people ridiculing us or people, you know, not finding us to be, uh, you know, for polite company or whatever it might be. But this is the, the ones who live under serious persecution. And that kind of ignorance and sometimes a willful kind of silencing of, of that reality, I thought that's got to stop. We got to make this known, first of all, for us believers but also for the rest of the world to understand what a serious problem this is and how important it is to, to wake up to the reality and also to fight for our religious liberty. We do know a lot about, say, human trafficking. People are aware of it. They're doing what they can to 
combat the issue. This is the same, only it's with Christians being persecuted. And people will think, oh, that's not really happening. But you show in your book detailed examples of Christians who are persecuted in the 21st century within the last four to five years. So we're not talking 10 years ago. We're not talking 12 years ago, 100 years ago. We're talking about right now, today. And this is highly significant to the conversation. You start to build on the history of persecution for the Christian church in general. And then you go into where did it come from? Why do people do this? And there's so much more to Dr. Williams's book that I want you to go ahead and make sure you get your copy of The Coming Christian Persecution available wherever books are sold. Let's go ahead and dig into some of these figures here. We're going to go through the first chapters. And one thing that Dr. Williams does in his book, Dear Listener, he does outline what you can expect from the book. So you're going to see the systematic unveiling of this particular subject here. So the first part we're going to go to, we're going to go to chapter one. We're going to talk about some of these statistics. The first part is you talk about that most religions in some way have been persecuted. Why do you think that's important to note to people? Well, it's important because it's not like, you know, we, we it's all about us. For example, when we push for religious freedom in the world, that's not just for a privileged place for us. That's a basic human right. That's something that reflects the dignity of the human person made by God. So I think that's something that we fight for for everyone. And it's important to recognize that the Jews have been persecuted, uh, Muslims have been persecuted, and different other members of other religions have been persecuted. It's not solely Christians. But I also try at that point to distinguish the fact that the Christians are persecuted in a very particular way. Uh, in terms of the numbers and the vehemence of the persecution, There's a, I think there really is a particular hatred for followers of Jesus that you don't see quite as forceful in some of these other persecutions. And that's why I think it's also worth singling out Christian persecution as a phenomenon in its own right. You talk about how a gentleman came into the Basicla of Notre Dame in France, and he brandished a six-inch blade with a copy of the Quran shouting, Allahu Akbar. And then he stabbed people while he was there. And this was not 12 years ago, dear listener. This was October 29, 2020. So this is during the height of the pandemic when we're all on lockdown. And from there, you let us know that by the numbers, Christians have been persecuted. So I'm just going to touch on one here. In 2019, a report by Aid to the Church in Need Christians are the victims of at least 75% of all religiously motivated violence and oppression in the world. When you hear that type of statistic, what do you want our listeners to understand? A lot of people just don't realize that. They don't, you know, we know a lot about anti-Semitism, for example. We talk about it and we should. It's a serious problem. It's real. But to learn, I think that 75%, three out of four of people who are assaulted, people who are killed around the world for their faith, three out of four of those are Christians. Christians are the most persecuted faith in the world statistically. So this isn't just some anecdotal piece of, of information. Statistically speaking, three out of four are Christians. And I think that should really you know, give us pause. And I think there's a lot of denial of this. Um, I'll, I'll give you just one example of this, Parker. If you look up on Wikipedia, there's actually an entire entry given to Christian persecution complex. Now, those words are very important, Christian persecution complex. And it talks about a lot of Christians imagine that they're persecuted because they want to be more like Jesus. 
And I was thinking to myself when I saw that, I'm like, I can't even imagine if they tried to put an entry in Wikipedia of, you know, uh, Jewish persecution complex, how angry people would get. Or if you put Muslim persecution complex, you would say, that's outrageous. How can you call that a complex when we know it's real? And yet with Christians, it's fair game. You say, we can just do that and pretend that this is something that's all in their heads. And that's why I think these statistics and the information is so important to make us realize, no, this is the truth. This is the reality in the world today. I think, too, bringing that to mind also gives us an opportunity to say, why is this happening? Any Christians I know, and most of us believe this, will agree on on personal freedom. We don't think anyone should be just sliced and diced up because of their belief system. We don't think that, okay? However, there is a certain special thing about Christians, and we know that has a lot to do with the soul of man rejecting his creator. We know that has a lot to do with that. And so throughout the first chapter of your book, you list various countries and some of the more high-profile cases of Christians who have been persecuted. And this takes up a nice chunk of the book. And the first I'm going to mention is North Korea. And North Korea is a totalitarian regime. And they talk about how the guy is so cruel to his own people. Christians just don't have a chance. That's pretty much it. I mean, the Christians who live there are heroic. There's no other word for it because every single day they take their lives in their own hands just by continuing to be faithful to Jesus. You can be thrown into jail. You can even be killed for possessing a Bible. If you try to talk to another citizen about Jesus, if you try to evangelize, if you try to be a missionary among your own people, if that gets to the authorities, you are thrown into prison. It, it's completely illegal to be a Christian believer. And it sounds very Orwellian because if it is, and if they had a way of having a thought police who could read what's in your heart and read what's in your mind, they'd be going after that too. It's very scary to have regimes that just, you know, Christ is too big a danger for us. We cannot have believers. This is something that threatens our very existence. It threatens people's allegiance to us, the government, because all of a sudden they are worshiping someone that is not the state. They're worshiping someone who demands an allegiance which is even higher than that uh, of the leader of this state. And we're going to put a pin in that statement and come back to it. The one that did kind of surprise me was the ones in Nigeria. Let's talk about what the climate for Christians in Nigeria, what that looks like for our listeners. Well, Nigeria, just last year, it it was called the country where it's most likely that you will die as a Christian in terms of the real probability of death, because there are hundreds of Christians killed every single year in Nigeria simply for their faith. They're targeted for the simple reason that they are Christians. It's a very divided state religiously. It's just over 50% Muslim uh, and just under 50% Christian. But in the places of Muslim majority, and also the the government has been uh, consistently Muslim, uh, also of this Fulani religious Uh, ethnic group. Um, And they're very, very violent toward the Christians. And it's something that, again, they're hunted down and uh, it's it's a horrific situation. There's uh, Boko Haram, which is an Islamic terror group in the north. And then you've got this Fulani, these Fulani raiders uh, occupying much of the middle of Nigeria. And their number one targets, as it's been said over and over again, people on the ground there, Christians on the ground, that is, it's an Islamization of the country. They really believe that the country is called to be 100% Muslim. And the way they go about that is not simply trying to convince uh, people to convert to Islam. 
they do it also by the sword. And this is something that is that is very, very difficult. I think that we have to stand with them and we have to pray for them because they truly are our persecuted brethren. And it has a lot to do, again, with the founder of that particular faith, which is Muhammad, and how Islam grew during his time period and further on. So that's just something we want to put a pin in as well. But there are other countries that you mentioned. You mentioned Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, China. This is all over the place. So I want to encourage you, dear listener, to pick up your copy of The Coming Christian Persecution by Dr. Thomas D. Williams, available wherever books are sold. So now we're going to just jump ahead into the next chapter. And I really like how in this chapter you talk about the theology of antipathy. Jesus told his followers that we are going to be persecuted. So I'm going to read a very quick excerpt I highlighted, which is at the beginning of the chapter. One simple fact that has strengthened oppressed Christians down through the ages has been the entirely expected nature of the abuse. Christians know that if we are going to reign with Christ, we have to suffer with him. We know that our leader, the Lord Jesus himself, suffered on the earth. And we are going to be like him. We can expect that. So you may be wondering, if people expect to be persecuted as a Christian, why is it such a shock? Well, it's true. It shouldn't be a shock. I, I think it's something that that startles us naturally because how our fellow human beings can be so cruel and how something, you know, Jesus, uh, who is the son of the father, who is love himself, God is love, as St. John tells us, how love could be so hated. Is, is something that shocks us, I think, just in its by its very nature. It's, it's so strange that love is hated, that love is rejected. But isn't that the mystery of the cross? When we look, look up at Jesus on the cross, that is love crucified. That is love hated to the point of, we will take him and we will strip him and we will nail him to this cross. We will scourge him and he will die. Um, and that's the way love incarnate was treated in this world. You know, and, and, you know, that's the shocking part, really. It's not that we're called to follow in his footsteps. It's that that would have happened at all in the first place, that, that God, who is love, is so hated, so detested in this world. And um, so, yeah, I think, you know, as much as Jesus foretold it, as much, as much as we know it's coming, as much as we know it's a reality for Christians, it still, I think, always is a bit of a surprise. And when we experience it in our own lives, it's always a little bit of a shock, like, what did I do to deserve that? We think, you know, and, but if we look to our leader, if we look to our master, what did he do to deserve that? He healed people. He preached the truth. He preached the love of God. He came among us in, and was there incarnate as a human being for us. So his life was just poured out in love and that's what he got. So are we expecting something else? In your book, you say in your words, in his own description of the rejection he experiences Jesus cast the reaction to his mission in terms of light and darkness, truth and falsehood. It is no mere human dislike or conflict of personalities, he insists, but is rooted in people's state of soul. And of course, we can only go back to John, where he says, And the darkness comprehendeth not, and they didn't want the light. They want to remain in the dark because their deeds were dark. And I'm paraphrasing, but that's what the scriptures say. 
And we can see this being rooted in our rejection of Christ, light, truth. So I think these are very important things that the dear reader who picks up your book are are going to be uh, stimulated by. And you did an excellent job of showing how Jesus foretold these things would happen. But you also talk about how Christ affirms his own identity as God. And you say here, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the Father are one, Jesus asserts. At this, the Jews again take up stones to stone him. Jesus says to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? The Jews answer, we stone you for no good work, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. And that's John 10, 29 to 33. And this is significant because it's not just Jesus is saying, I'm a good person. I'm a good guy. He says, no, I am God. Why is this significant for us to understand this? Well, I think in the case of Jesus, I mean, obviously he is God and what he said was the truth. And I think that what, you know, I think the real message we can get out of this is Jesus didn't back down when he knew what would happen when he spoke the truth. He knew that if he said that, He was inciting the Jewish leaders of his time. He knew what was going to come to pass in his own passion and his own cross. And I think for us, our truth is a little different. We don't say that we are God, but we say that we are followers of Jesus and we affirm him as God. So we stick to the same truth. And when we proclaim that truth, especially in certain circumstances among certain people, we can expect to suffer for it. And I think that the real message there is to not back down even when we know that there's going to be a bad reaction, even when we know there are going to be repercussions. You know, that's that's not the time to get all weak in the knees. That's the time to be emboldened by the Holy Spirit and say, this is what we proclaim to you because it's true. You even go on here to talk about the hostility towards the disciples of Jesus. And you quote scripture, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. This lets us know the type of demeanor we're supposed to have. However, we understand that we're going to be attacked. So you have the sheep amidst the wolves. But he also says to be wise as serpents. So you have to be discernible. I don't think you should go out and you know in certain places that are unsafe and just say, well, the Lord's going to protect me. (laughs) I think you got to use a little bit of sense there. But he said, be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. And in that one statement, the Lord lets us know how we are supposed to live this Christian walk and this Christian life. You go on further to say, Jesus never sugarcoats the mission of his disciples. Persecution is part and parcel of the task. At the same time, despite the certainty of violent oppression, Jesus assures his followers that this suffering is not to be feared. As a Christian knows that he is not a sprinter, but a marathoner, and that the finish line is not worldly success, fame, and fortune, but eternal life. That just really spoke to me, Dr. Williams. It let us know that no matter how well or how bad we do here, at the end of it all, our reward is eternal relationship with God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, 
in this unique way that we will spend eternity trying to understand. And that just really, really resonated with me. What would you say to our listeners listening to that, how they can be encouraged for those of them that are experiencing persecution? I mean, I think this has been the hope of Christians for the last 2000 years because it's never been a rose garden. It's never been easy. And I think that we need to keep our eyes on the prize. It's, I think that there's a danger when we experience any kind of persecution or abuse or oppression to think, oh, I must be doing something wrong. I must have strayed from the path. There's something. Why is this happening? And I think that if if our minds and our hearts are on things of this world, if we're thinking of what we're going to be getting and what we're going to be building and what it and how people are going to treat us and all the love and the affection we're going to have, when it doesn't happen, we get confused. And if we realize, you know, this we're in exile. We're in exile. To be in exile means you never really feel at home. You know that you're moving somewhere else and the finish line and your your destination is not there. And I think that that's a great reminder for us that really heaven is the only place we're ever going to truly feel at home, where we're going to realize this is what I was made for. This is what it's about. And I think that that makes, you know, whatever the sufferings that our Lord asks from us in this life, it makes it much more bearable to know this is not the end. This is not the end. This is not the B-O-N-L of my existence. This is something that's okay because I'm going somewhere else. There is something about the Savior's task that is divisive, Jesus warns. He is not only the Prince of Peace, but also the one who demands that a stand be taken for him or against him. People will be forced to take sides, and those who are not with him will be against him, and those who do not gather with him will ultimately scatter. This type of absolute is what I think quote unquote, the soul of people reject. They don't want to be in absolutes because we understand our human nature naturally and spiritually fights against God's holiness. So I think you pointing this out here lets us know that Christ is not just let's all be one. Let's all just hold each other and sing Kumbaya. He says, no, I come not to bring peace. He said, but to bring, bring a sword, for I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes will be those of his own household. So you go on to say, in the end, Jesus concludes a Christian is summoned to be willing to give up his life, to let go of earthly aspirations and to seek heavenly ones both for himself and those he loved. By losing his life in this way, he will save it. And this is the crazy thing about it, that there are Christians who are being persecuted out here. And they said, thank you so much. Think about Paul. Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is gain, that we should be willing to suffer with him. So for our dear listener out there, the coming Christian persecution is really going to expand your understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ. I want to talk about two people who have been rather critical of Christian persecution, and it has to do with the age of enlightenment. And I want to talk about that because 
we can see some of that in today's modern society, but just to a grander scale. The first person we want to talk about is Voltaire. Well, Voltaire was a very brilliant man, and he, and he had a beautiful way of writing. I, I actually really like reading his stuff because he's so entertaining and he's so witty. Uh, but he was, you know, as we were talking a little bit before the show, he is a product of a 100 years war between Christians. He saw a lot of bloodshed of people all saying they believe in Jesus Christ who are fighting and killing one another. And, you know, this was an age where he said, let's put all these differences aside. But he unfortunately went too far. He wanted to throw out the, 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 the baby with the bathwater and basically said, no one should be that attached to their religion, that, that attached to their God, that they would be, you know, moved to such things. In other words, he, he, did, he failed to see that there's a way of being 100% with Jesus and yet not having that in any way be a source of violence, right? In fact, that's what we take for granted today. We understand that to be the only way to be a serious Christian is to, you know, be ready to suffer but not to be ready to kill, right? And I think that that is something that we definitely have an advantage over Voltaire's time. But, you know, when he tried to do then was undermine, I think, the Christian experience. And, and this was a, the, kind of the sad part, and especially in his letter on toleration, when he talks about the Christian martyrs of the first centuries, he really basically says that, first of all, that there weren't very many of them. And then he says, and the Romans, as we know, were a very enlightened people and they were very tolerant people. So if a few people got put to death in that time, it must have been their own fault. And he basically comes to the conclusion that it was the intolerance of Christians themselves by saying, Jesus is the only Lord and Savior. And we can't, you know, worship and burn incense to the, to the emperor. It was that intolerance that cost them their lives which is something that obviously when we look back on it, we have to reject that. That's a misreading of the reality. When you talk about the Roman persecution, what you say here, you say the fact is that the Roman persecution of Christians had very precise motives. It is true that the Roman state was remarkably tolerant toward a diversity of religions, but there were two notable exceptions to this general indifference. The Romans did not tolerate any cult that was hostile to the state or any cult that was exclusive of all others. And there you go. It goes back to the whole North Korea thing. We're not going to have you give yourself to something other than the state. So you can do what you want with the state's permission. And Christians were saying, we're going to do what the Lord tells us to. You do not rule over us Christ rules over us. And that is the type of thing that the state does not want. They want to be able to control you. So yeah, you could believe in flower pots, if you will, as long as the state gives you permission. Now, one thing that Voltaire said is he said that Christians were guilty of inflexible obstinacy. Basically, if they would just stop being so obstinate well, you wouldn't have this problem. Do you really think that is the case? Well, I mean, there is, you could call it obstinacy, but we would call it faithfulness. We would call it loyalty to Jesus. I, I think there is a certain obstinacy, if you will, that is necessary for a Christian. You have to be willing to say, you know what? I'm not going to budge on this. I'm not going to budge. I'm going to be as faithful to Jesus as Jesus has been to faith, faithful to me. And, I, and whatever comes of that is going to come of it you know, and you can call that obstinacy. You can say, well, you're just being big-headed. You're just being stubborn. And you say, well, you know, some people would just call that being true. Some people would call that just being faithful. 
Uh, and there are certain things that you just can't be flexible on, right? Uh, you, there are th certain places you can bend and certain places you can't bend. And if you try to bend those other places, what it basically means is that you're caving and you're not being true. You mentioned another gentleman who is one of Voltaire's contemporaries is Edward Gibbon, and he's the English version of Voltaire, but he got a lot of his ideas from Voltaire as well. And so he was basically doing the same thing. And he says, the primitive Christians perpetually trod on mystic ground, and their minds were exercised by the habits of believing the most extraordinary events. They felt or they fancied that on every side they were incessantly assaulted by demons, comforted by visions, instructed by prophecy, and surprisingly delivered from danger, sickness, and from death itself by the supplications of the church. Now here, Gibbons is actually attacking from a different perspective. He's saying that it's absolutely insane to think that the supernatural exists. Yeah, he's making fun of this willingness to believe in the spiritual realm, realm, to believe in angels, to believe in demons, to believe in a God who we do not see day to day in the way we see other people, uh, to believe in miracles, to believe in healing, to believe in the power of prayer, to believe in the communion of saints. These things that we as Christians take for granted, this reality, which is more real than the, than the earth that we step on every day. Uh, Voltaire was very much a materialist. He was very much one who said, no, we've reached the age of reason. Now we have to put these myths and these beliefs behind us. That's, those are for children. Those are fairy tales. And we're adults. We, we have gone beyond that now. And I think that that simplicity of children that Jesus always praised, that willingness to be innocent and open-minded and ready to be surprised and, and living in awe at the reality and the beauty of the world, that's something that we have to rediscover but Gibbon was beyond that. Gibbon said, no, I've left all that behind and I'm just going to make fun of it at this point. And then we find ourselves in a position where we really need the supernatural when you're sick, when you don't know where to go, and you really want the Lord to show up and show out. <laughs> and I think the Lord allows these things to happen. As my mom would say, there's a God-sized hole in our hearts that only the Lord himself can fulfill. And so what I really wanted to do, but we just didn't have time for, I wanted to talk about the various martyrs that you brought out in this book. But for our listeners, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. When you pick up your copy of The Coming Christian Persecution, available wherever books are sold, Dr. Williams systematically shows you why Christians are persecuted. What is the thing behind it? How can we as Christians pray for our persecuted brothers in Christ? Those of us here in the West who are quote quote unquote, more protected because we are the product of Christian ideology, Christian thought and processes, all these things. How can we get better at defending ourselves? He calls us to rally up behind those who have gone before us. They were persecuted, so are we. Instead of being afraid of that persecution, embrace it because our father said it will happen. So the coming Christian persecution isn't really coming, is it? It's already here. What are you doing to gird up your own faith? And that's where you're going to get from the coming Christian persecution available wherever books are sold by Dr. Thomas D. Williams. And Dr. Williams, thank you so much for being with us today on the show. Really enjoyed having you. What are some final words you want to share with our listeners? Well, first of all, Parker, it's a blessing for me to be on your show and just to be able to talk with you. You're such a 
an outstanding witness to Jesus in your own right. And that, that moves me. Um, I would just invite our readers really to take one more step. This is a great time of year to take one more step close to Jesus. And maybe this year it'll be in the area of, of welcoming and, and recognizing that persecution in our own lives and asking for the courage to face it boldly and with love. Dr. Williams, thank you so much for being with us on the show today. Cannot wait to have you back and have you back real soon. Thank you, Parker. I can't wait either. And we were talking today to Dr. Thomas Williams. He is the author of the book, The Coming Christian Persecution. It's available wherever books are sold. So make sure you go ahead and get your copy today. So this is hot, fresh off the press. It just came out yesterday. Go ahead, pick up your copy of The Coming Christian Persecution. For those of you who are thinking about, do I want to stand where Jesus stands? And we all know we have these internal conversations with ourselves and with the Lord. We're so afraid of taking a stand on little things because right now, particularly here in the West, the culture is so vile to truth. It's so vile to decency and so vile to the Lord himself. We may just want to you know, be quiet about it. We, Lord, I do love you, but I want to do it in private. I don't want really people to know about it. Dr. Williams is telling you, no, if you are going to reign with Christ, you have to suffer with him. The coming Christian persecution is something we all have to take our stance on. It's not a complex, like Wikipedia said, it's the truth. My question to you today, dear listener, is where are you going to stand when persecution comes to your door? With Christ, or are you going to fall in and be swept by it. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen Parker J. You have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day. <laughs>